Amen. Thanks, Ben. Uh, I'd encourage you to have Genesis chapter 3 open in front of you. Uh, If that is on a phone, that's absolutely fine. Uh, But we're going to work through this passage, and there is so much in this. It is an absolute corker of a Bible passage. And I'm not going to lie, when I first found out I was speaking on the fall, I thought, typical. (laughs) Typical of me. And I was like, ugh. But reading it and studying it, seriously, it's immense. Because we may have fallen, but there's someone who took a stand, and that person is Jesus Christ. And this passage is full of hope, it's full of grace, it's full of life. And my prayer is that we all go out of these doors today knowing that we are free of shame, and that we are free to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing who we are in God. So let's recap. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, you'll have a, a flavour of what we've been studying at, in. And if you've not, catch up online. Firstly, Genesis 1, we had a journey uh, through Genesis 1, which Brogan uh, took us through. And he talked about how we're created by God, created for purpose and created with pleasure. That God looks on us with love, pleasure and delight. Last week we had Mim who took us through Genesis 2 and we looked at the creation narrative of Adam and Eve. They were created to work. Work was always part of God's plan. They were created for each other just as we too are created for one another to be in community. And today we're looking at Genesis 3 where everything begins to go wrong. When Adam and Eve begin to think that they are the creators, that they are the God of their own lives, and that God is not. And that leads to complete and total disordering of all things. They forget they were created for pleasure. They forget they were created with a purpose. They forget that they were created by God and that he is in control. And we're still living with the consequences of that moment today. So we're going to work through this passage and there's three uh, main points I want to draw out. The first one is this, Satan's craftiness. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 7, Satan's craftiness. Secondly, we're going to be looking at sin's consequences, verses 8 to 19. And thirdly, lastly, we'll be looking at Saviour Christ, verses 20 to 24. So firstly, Satan's craftiness. Adam and Eve were living this life of bliss. They were working away in the garden, which was beautiful, tending to it, stewarding it, living out their purpose with complete intimacy with God. And they were told by God that they could eat from any tree except from the tree in the middle of the garden. And God didn't say this to be a killjoy, but because he knows best. He knows what is going to be best for Adam and Eve. Then the devil in form of a a serpent comes along and says, did God really say that you cannot eat from that tree? Did God really say? Eve begins to explain that God did say. Because If they eat from that tree, they will die. But the serpent then twists God's words and says, you won't actually die. Go on, eat from it. 
The serpent persuaded Eve that her and Adam could be Lord and King of their own lives. Why submit to God when you can have it all yourself? In the same way, the devil says to us, you and I today, did God really say? Because what he likes to do is undermine the the word of God and get us to doubt that God's plan for us is good. Is that familiar to any of you? You probably hear this all all of the time in life. Did God really say that I shouldn't gossip about so-so? Did God really say that sex is created for within the context of marriage? Did God really say that he wants control of my money? Did God really say? You know, it was Adam and Eve doubting the answer to this that led to the fall. And we... You and I have been living with the effects of this ever since. We, like Adam, think we know best. We think we can interpret God's word as suits us best. Now sin, which is all about putting ourselves in place of God, it doesn't remain an isolated disease. What we do affects everybody around us. You see, sin affects community, not just one person. And we simply cannot accept that our poor choice to be disobedient to God's word in life will only affect me. There are always multiple people around us, relationships that our sin intrudes on. And so we must wake up to our own sin and be cautious of the wider consequences You know, we only need to look at the state of our home nation right now. Don't we long for the word of God to be feared once again in this land? Now let's take a look at verse 7. Notice what happens immediately after Adam and Eve disobey God and his word. They feel shame. They realise their nakedness. What did they do? Well, they heard God walking in the garden. They hid from the Lord God. And then they sewed fig leaves together to make a covering for themselves. They were feeling, quite frankly, embarrassed, guilty about what they had done. Now, we often have within us an early warning system against sin. Our conscience. That heart feeling of knowing that we've done something wrong deep down within us. I wonder if you get that. Maybe we should be thankful for that. Because what it does is it gives us an opportunity to put things right with God and with others. Now what is completely laughable here in this situation is that Adam and Eve are trying to cover themselves with fig leaves. Thinking that that would cover them completely, that that would succeed in hiding everything from an all-seeing and all-knowing God. Yeah, a fig leaf. Well, Jeremiah chapter 23, God says this, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? 
Do I not fill heaven and earth? You see, church, I don't know about you, but a fig leaf is not going to cover it. Okay? It is just not going to cover it. It's not up to the job. That's not a fig leaf, by the way. It's just something random about my garden, but it's the closest thing I had. But think about it. It's not going to cover it. God's word is beautiful, it's good, and God has the perfect plan for our life. If only we would follow him with our whole lives. We need to be asking, what did God say? And we need to be standing under the authority of God's word alone, not the lies of the enemy. Not did God really say Let's stand on what God did say. You see, some of us here today might be asking, did God really say that I'm forgiven? Yes, he did. Did God really say I was made by him, that he has a plan for me? Yes, he did. Did God really say that he loves me so much that he rejoices over me with singing? Yes, he did. Let's stand as a church, as a people of God, on the authority of his word, not on the lies of the enemy. This doesn't cover it. (laughs) Secondly, sin's consequences. Verse 8, let's take a look at verse 8. It's a beautiful picture of, of a relationship with God that he craves to have with you and me, walking in paradise, hand in hand, together. God's looking for Adam and Eve. He's seeking that friendship with them. He's seeking that relationship. But where are they? Where have they gone? Adam and Eve feel that they have to hide from God. They're no longer comfortable exposing who they are with God or with each other because sin has a habit of doing that. It makes us hide. Now, a few years ago when um, we were living back in York, um, we were going on a nice little family walk down the street. And um, basically, a member of our family party had a pram. This person wasn't Rachel, so don't worry, there wasn't a live baby in it. But we were going for a nice family walk with a pram down the street, always going fine, wheels turning, and all of a sudden, the pram gets pushed into the middle of the road, into oncoming traffic. And I'm like, this is like a scene you'd see on, you know, police cop kind of 24-hour thing. And my life, it was just like, oh my word, what is happening? The car screeched, put the brakes on, uh, there was a pram in the middle of the road, and uh, there was a child, pramless, on the path. And I'm like, what on earth happened there? Immediately, the person who pushed the pram disappeared into a hedge. She hid. She didn't want to be seen. She knew what she had done, that it wasn't good. And she felt the shame and the embarrassment of the situation. Thankfully, it was just a plastic baby in the pram and the driver 
took the hint that it was a, a miniature pram, not a full-size one, and so all was well. There was no injury caused. But afterwards, as we processed this with the person who pushed the pram, <laughs> they hid in the hedge because they were sad that they had done wrong in that situation. Now, for all of us here today, we need to be asking, is there something we have said or done that is keeping us from walking hand and hand with God in the garden of paradise? What is that thing for us? And like Adam and Eve, God is asking the question of us right now, where are you? Where are you? Maybe you feel that right now. That he is asking of you, where are you? You see, this would have been the first time, quite literally, that God asked this question. Imagine it. He created Adam and Eve for intimacy, connection, relationship. Where has all that gone? Sin has destroyed that close relationship between God, Adam and Eve. But God begins to search them out. Where are you? Now, yes, in our world today, we're living with consequences of the fall. We too get stuff wrong uh, today, don't we? All the time. But God is calling you and me out. Where are you? And the good news is that God is searching us out. That means it's not over. It's not finished for us. We don't have to remain in that hiding place, in a hedge anymore. There is hope. There is grace. And where do we find that hope? Where do we find that grace? Well, we'll see exactly towards uh, the, the end of this chapter. But a little bit of a spoiler alert, we find it in the person of Jesus Christ. God asks Adam and Eve, what have you done? What have you done? Now, why did God ask Adam and Eve this question when God knows everything? He sees everything. But he pursues to ask them, what have you done? What he's doing is he's giving Adam and Eve an opportunity to own their wrongdoing. Just think about that. To take responsibility for themselves. Because God sees in them that they, they are capable of naming and taking responsibility for their own wrong. God deals with them, if you like, as grown-ups. Now, Rachel does this to me all the time. Uh, me and Rach have a, a, a unique marriage, which is uh, quite a wonderful display of fireworks most days, in a good sense. It's a nice, beautiful, colourful display of uh, visual attraction and various other things. And um, occasionally we do get great on each other a little bit, mainly me causing that issue. Uh, and one of the things I do is, that really winds her up, is I come back from the shop with uh, not one or two, but usually three bags of produce from the supermarket. And every piece of produce has a yellow sticker on. 
I bought it because I couldn't resist the temptation of leaving it at such a good price in the fridge. So I buy it all. And uh, so much that we can't get through it, and by the next day it's either gone off, uh, it's no good to anyone. And uh, then I eat myself up about it. And she, uh, Rachel, is so good and gracious, she works me through the process of what was going on in my mind, how I thought on earth that we would eat all of this in the space of 24 hours, and then she leads me through uh, an intervention program of what I would do differently next time. Uh, we're still not quite broken through yet, but she does persist with patience and kindness, uh, but she's a wonderful example of what God is doing here with Adam and Eve. He works through with them the process of how they got into this mess and how perhaps they can deal with it. You see, the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin are explained in verses 14 to 19, if we want to take a look. Work becomes hard, relationships get stained. It wasn't meant to be this way. We were supposed to live in harmony with each other. Work was always supposed to be a joy, but that isn't always our experience or the case today, is it? And it's because of the fall. It's because like Adam and Eve, we too get things wrong. We say me rather than putting God first or each other first. There is always a consequence of our sin. Now one consequence I want us to focus on here particularly is when the Lord God is speaking to the serpent. Verses 14 and 15. Let's take a look. Verse 14, he says to the serpent, you have done this. Verse 15, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What is going on here? Well, imagine we're all going out next weekend, Saturday morning, for a lovely church walk to, where well, do we go in Newcastle for church walk? Jesmondine. Jesmondine. Other places are available. Okay. <clears throat> so we're out in Jesmondine, and uh, slivering so fast in the middle of us comes this huge venomous snake. And I won't point to anyone, but it's coming for you. <laughs> right? It's coming for you. We're out as a group, and it's coming for you. Now then. Sorry, I got taken away about that. Now, one man out of this party decides, I'm going to go for this snake. So he goes for the snake and he stamps on its head. And everyone else in the party goes, Yes, he's got the snake. Stamps on its head and he stamps on it until he finally crushes the snake's head. Gone. No more. And the whole family is saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a relief. Carry on with the walk. Now we finish walking down the pathway to get to the waterfall. And only after the man who crushed the snake's head realises that actually in the process of uh, killing the snake and saving the rest of us, he in fact was bitten. He was poisoned and he eventually dies. That's why I didn't. You know, point. <laughs> now, the snake here isn't just a snake. It represents Satan. 
evil. Now, verse 15, folks, is significant for us because what it is saying is that the descendants of Adam and of Eve, offspring of the woman, a human being, is going to come and destroy sin and death. But in the process, is going to receive a fatal wound. Do you get it? A human being is going to come and destroy sin and death. But in the process, he is going to lose his life. Where the first Adam in this story failed to crush the head of the serpent, the second Adam will crush its head. This man is Jesus Christ. God is showing us right here that he is going to deal with our sin. Jesus has made a way. Now, if that's not something to rejoice about and celebrate, I don't know what is. And just whilst we have an hallelujah, I'm going to take a drink. (coughs) Don't do that again, Adam. (coughs) That was a delayed hallelujah. (coughs) Excuse me, that's just a water cough, not a other cough. Anyway, we're coming into land, but this is the best bit. The third point. Saviour Christ. Verses 20 to 24. We begin to see the extraordinary promise of redemption. What's redemption? The act of God saving. Now, God cannot stand sin, but he loves those who do sin. He lavishes us with tender mercy and grace. Now rewind, verse 7, what do we see? Adam and Eve make clothes for themselves when they, they recognised they were naked. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, they realised they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Fig leaves. Aren't you glad it's not just one? The problem is, they try and do the job themselves, but it's a bit naff. It's not the best, it's not great. It doesn't quite cover it. Now contrast with verse 21, let's fast forward. God begins to cover Adam and Eve's shame with great mercy. How does he do it? By making clothes out of animal skin. In other words, something had to die, an animal, in order for Adam and Eve's shame to be hidden. The thing is, they were proper clothes. They were so much better than the clothes they made for themselves out of fig leaves. What does this point to? Jesus. Jesus is going to come and give his life so that our shame may be covered forever. Look how tender and loving God is here. He clothes Adam and Eve himself. Just as he clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus, so that when he looks at us, he sees nothing but perfection. Church, why would you settle for a fig leaf when you can clothe yourself with the whole armour of God? When you can clothe yourself with Christ Jesus through baptism? 
Because of Jesus, we no longer have to live in fear because what we have done. But we can live free, knowing that God still calls us, even when we've messed up, knowing that he longs to restore us into relationship with him all of the time, to be walking in the garden hand in hand. You see, we are never, ever beyond the vast grace and love of Jesus Christ. Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me declares that it is done. The brokenness of Eden has been undone in Jesus dying on the cross. And friends, if you're still unsure about how good God is, then take a look at verse 24, the last verse of this passage. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, when God sends out Adam and Eve from the garden, there is a flaming sword flashing back and forth, guarding it. Nobody can get back into the presence of God. The garden is guarded. Nothing can get into the paradise, heaven, unless you walk beneath the sword. What does the sword represent here? Justice. And you'll see if you've ever been to court, or what, Pastor? Law court. There's often a figure, a figure called Lady Justice. I don't know too much about Lady Justice, but there's often a pair of scales and a sword in her hand. Now, the sword represents justice. And we know that the wages of sin is death. Paul says the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. It continues to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus himself, he went, if you like, underneath the sword. He opened up a new way back into the presence of God. Jesus went first for you and for me. He died under the sword so that we can have full access, relationship, walk in union once again with God, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Isn't that incredible? Jesus walked underneath the sword so that we can have full access once again. Jesus obeyed the Father. He knew that in doing so, it would end in a curse, ultimately death. And even, think about this, when he was dying on the cross, for you and for me, what did he cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt alone, abandoned, isolated, yet he remained there. He was obedient to the Father's will for you and for me. Why? 
to cover our sins forever. So let's stop, church, covering ourselves with fig leaves. And let's let the glory of God clove us completely because of what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross. Because it means that we can be set free of shame, that we can be forgiven and restored to that full relationship God craves with each and every one of us. And church, this is the message that I'd love to encourage us to proclaim when we leave these doors today. That we took the fall, but Jesus took a stand for you and for me. If you're able, can I invite you to to stand or uh, just present yourself in a posture of um, wanting to listen and respond to what God has been speaking to us about today. Now, firstly, I think there's some of us here today, um, myself included, and we need to respond uh, to the fact that we've not been standing firm on the authority of God's word, but we've been listening to the lies of the enemy. For too long, we've been listening to the enemy say to us, did God really say that? Does God really think that about you? Is God really asking that of you and your life? And today we need to wipe out the snares and the whispers of the enemy who doesn't want you to flourish, who doesn't want you to be in relationship with him, with God. Maybe for some of us we've been listening to the lies of the culture and society around us that isn't standing firm on God's word that is leading us down a different track and maybe today you want to put a staff in the ground and declare that you are not going to be listening anymore to the lies of the enemy and you're going to stand firm on God's word what are those things for you? Where in your life do you need to stand firm on the truth of God's word? My encouragement to you in this moment is to name it in the quietness of your heart. Maybe now you know exactly what it is for you. And if you want prayer for for God's help and strength in dealing with that thing, then we'd encourage you to come uh, over here to the front, to the right, and to receive some prayer. We'd love to pray with you. May today be a day where you declare your life is going to be firmly rooted in God's word and not in the word of the enemy.
And then I want us to think about this fig leaf. Where have you in your life for so long been trying to cover your own sin and shame and your embarrassment? Whatever it is for you in in life. You've been trying to do it all by yourself. But it just doesn't cover it. You are clothed with Christ. There is something far more beautiful to be placed on your shoulders to cover your shame. And it's in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been living with some shame for quite a while. Something you've said, something you've done, something that's happened to you. God has got something far greater to clothe you with today. Come and receive some prayer. Saturate yourself in the truth and promise of God's word today. Know who you are in him. And then lastly, maybe you're here today and um, you've not been walking in the garden of life hand in hand with God, but today you've realised that there's one person who's restored that unity and union with God that that person is Jesus Christ and you just know that you need to be in relationship with him that you want to say thank you Jesus for taking the sword so that I can have life and life in its fullness so that I can be free and forgiven that's only found in Jesus if you are not walking with Jesus yet can I encourage you to take his hand today and to walk the rest of your days with Jesus in your life. Again, we'd love to pray with you. It'd be the best thing you ever do to give your life to Jesus.